Salway. My name is Dr. Michael C. Boykin, and this is All Theology is Christology. I'm going to be looking at the readings from the first chapter of Mark, beginning with the 29th verse. This is the sermon I preached on this past Sunday. And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening at sundown they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered outside the door, and he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place. And there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. And they found him and said to him, everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also. For that is why I came. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. We've seen the very first part of Mark. The, you might say the thumbnail of Jesus' entire ministry. It says, Jesus says, Let us go to the next town, that I may preach also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. We see again the emphasis here on the preaching of the word of God, the Bar Adonai, the word of the Lord. And, and Jesus says, I have come to preach. Preaching is the preeminent form of the announcement of the gospel of the kingdom of God. Preaching precedes everything. The, the healings and the demon possessions, or, the, or should I say the casting out of demons by Jesus, are more or less affirmation that the message that he proclaimed of the gospel of the kingdom, uh, and specifically here the kingdom of God, that's Mark's own words that we see in the first chapter of, of Mark, the first verses. And I think I need to talk a little bit about what is that message? What is the gospel of God? I think there are two ways of looking at it. First of all, to, to see this as the fulfillment of the prophet Isaiah, who we see Jesus saying that he has come to proclaim the word of the Lord. When John the Baptist questioned whether or not Jesus was the Messiah, should they look for someone else? And here's the reason, this is the problem. And I'll share it with you. It took me a long time to learn this. Anytime you talk about the kingdom of God, sometimes they refer to it as the rule or reign of God, but, but we'll just use the biblical word, the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God has two poles, you might say, or two parts to it. One part is grace. The other part is judgment. When the kingdom of God comes, there will be grace and there will be judgment. 
Jesus and his ministry is heavy on grace, very heavy on grace. And there's not much judgment. There is some judgment, but that judgment, as we're going to see, is poured out on Christ. John uh, has been thrown into prison. He's been arrested. And it's as though uh, Jesus can't begin his ministry until John uh, no longer exists. John is the last of the Old Testament prophets, but he's only found in the New Testament. He came to prepare the way for the Lord. He did this from the, even before he was conceived in the womb of Elizabeth, which was itself a miraculous event, considering that Elizabeth was way beyond the age of bearing children. This was against God. Nothing, uh, anyway, comparable to what the Holy Spirit does in the conception of Jesus and the Virgin Mary, but still it's a miraculous event. It's by divine power, supernatural. John came to prepare the way for the Lord. He did this while he was still in the womb of Elizabeth. He also says, you know, I must, I must grow weaker. Jesus must become stronger. John's disciples becomes Jesus's disciples. So John is arrested and, and shortly he will be decapitated. We see Jesus uh, then going immediately from his baptism into Galilee, into the, you might say, the institution of the church where he calls his disciples. He has somewhat of a rabbinic school. And now he goes out into Capernaum. Uh, this is the home uh, of uh, Simon and Andrew and James and John. And it becomes more or less the headquarters of Jesus. You know, Jesus, when he goes to his hometown, and he, he reads to them from the prophet Isaiah in, in the synagogue. And he says, in your hearing, this has been fulfilled. And, and then at first they received it. And then they tried to kill Jesus. He, he, can't, he can't go back to Nazareth. So Capernaum becomes his, his home base. Uh, as I said, this is where, when Simon, this is Simon Peter, the first pope. Uh, and this is Andrew. You know, Andrew, uh, some people believe it was the first of the apostles, and, and maybe the great thing about Andrew is what I always love. He may not have the prominence of his brother, uh, Simon Peter, but Andrew, if you look at it, is always bringing people to Jesus. I mean, that, that to me, it's, uh, I would like to think that, that uh, when I'm gone, that people will say, well, you know, Pastor Boykin, uh, he may not have been great, but he was always bringing people to Jesus. And that would be more than, than enough to uh, make me happy, be a good legacy. Just that. I would like to think that. I'd like to think that through the preaching of the word, that, that uh, by the power of the Holy Spirit, through the pure preaching of the gospel, and through the administration of sacraments, that the Holy Spirit is, called, is, is creating and preserving faith in Christ Jesus. So anyway, I kind of got off on, on that. So, so he says, uh, he sends his disciples, uh, this is John the Baptist, while well, he's in prison, he sends his disciples to want to know if Jesus is the Messiah, or should they look for someone else? It's not that John hasn't heard about Jesus' miracles. Everybody's heard about Jesus' miracles. Uh, even in extra-biblical uh, sources, no, even the, the, the Jews that oppose Jesus, no one denies that Jesus performed miracles. Did wonderful things. 
uh, that that was never to be done. Now the problem that we see is that the the Pharisees said that Jesus was doing these things by the power of Beelzebub or Satan. And I, I'm going to talk about that in just a moment. We talk about the power of God's kingdom, and and because again, part of this. Notice the two parts that that epitomizes Jesus' ministry according to Mark, the last part. He goes into their synagogues preaching and casting out demons. Because in in Mark's gospel, there is a confrontation of two worlds. There's the Holy Spirit and there's the unclean spirit. There's there's the power or reign of, of God. And then there is the the demonic. And in a biblical worldview, this demonic exists. Satan exists. Demons exist. Demon possession exists. Uh, and we see the power of Satan. So uh, it manifests itself in the world. So there is a confrontation. The good news is that Jesus uh, overcomes the power of Satan. He, in fact, he cast out Satan. And he gives also the his apostles the authority to do that as well. The 70 do come back. Uh, he sends out the 70 to kind of their vicarage. He sends them, they come back, and, and they, they're rejoicing because they were casting out demons in Jesus' name. So he, he has this power that Jesus has. He's greater than, than, than Satan. So he says to John, uh, when his disciples say, to, and again, this is from the seventh chapter of Luke. Jesus says, go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. Lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised up. The poor have good news preached to them. Now, poor can also be material, but I, I think here poor means humble, people who are humble, humble people who are searching, longing for the, the righteousness of God, lo- looking for a savior, looking for a Messiah. And then he says, blessed is the one who is not offended by me. I think he may be talking about John here. Don't be offended at me, John, because I the judgment is coming. But now is a time that grace must be emphasized. So you see this in, again, the kingdom of God. Grace and judgment. God is heavy in grace. Now, Jesus goes into Capernaum. Again, the home of Simon and Andrew, and also uh, in their house. This is this is Simon Peter's mother-in-law. Right? The first pope is married. Uh, I'm using that that in, in kind of a sarcastic way because what we see today in uh, Roman Catholicism, the elevation of the papacy, you know, it did not exist in the early church. It just did not. I'm not going to go into it, but I mean, it just was not there. That's something that that is developed much, 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 much later on. There, uh, there's no such thing as a monarchical episcopacy 
uh, as it exists today in the New Testament. But, but it is interesting, isn't it, that Peter is has uh, obviously has to be married or had been married because he has a mother-in-law. So, uh, and she's living with him. So, and, and Andrew, of course, is Simon's brother. So, I mean, it's our household. They intercede, or others, if they not, I mean, there were, you get the idea that there were, that maybe all of the people in the town realized that Peter's mother-in-law, we don't know her name. Her name's never mentioned. That's not unusual. Um, who she is in terms of that is not, that the focus, the focus here is Jesus's power and Jesus's compassion. They intercede on her behalf. And we do that in prayer. When we pray for people, when we intercede for them, that, that and we're asking Jesus to heal people. I mean, that's what we do. He's the great, as we say in our prayer, he is the great physician of body and soul. And we, and we pray uh, to Jesus. We pray to the Father. We pray in the Holy Spirit to, to uh, heal people. And so they intercede. We, we intercede for people. Now, Mark, whose favorite word, by the way, is immediately. I mean, if you look at Mark, uh, he loves that word, immediately, everything. I always think of Mark as kind of the Rambo of the Gospels. He's a man of action. Not dialogue. John likes to talk. John loves dialogue. He goes into the house. He grabs her. No, he doesn't say a word. He grabs her by the hand, lifts her up, raises her. Maybe a better word is raise her up, because you think kind of the think of the resurrection. He raises her up. And immediately, the fever, and she has a raging fever, the fever goes. It's gone. It's loosed. And, and, and then she gets up and starts serving people. I mean, that's how complete the healing is. Yeah, I mean, if you look at, at uh, Luke, for instance, and his uh, account of this, look, look in Luke, Jesus never touches the woman. Luke rebukes, has, excuse me, Luke records Jesus rebuking the fever, by his word, the fever, but he never touches her. So, uh, and, and Matthew doesn't say that Jesus grabbed her. He, he, says he touches her and, and the fever left. So, it is, you know, all the, 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 uh, the writers of the Gospels are our own redactor. There's a purpose for this. Again, Mark is emphasizing the the action of Jesus. So he comes in, grabs her, fever's gone. That, that's the way it is. It shows, again, Jesus having divine power. He can heal raging fevers. He can do it by rebuking it by his word, are just grabbing somebody. That's enough. Just touching. Jesus is just touching somebody, uh, according to his office, as, as his will. He can, he can heal people. And then we, we see that evening, people 
bringing all of the sick, all of the weak, all of the diseased, and the demon possessions. And I think this is very important. The Bible makes a distinction between illnesses and diseases, or you might say that we will put those over here as physical uh, physical ailments. So just put those over here. And demon possession. They know the difference. Not every sickness is a result of Satan or the demons. But there is demon possession. Jesus healed them all. Uh, again, you have this confrontation between two worlds, between two kingdoms. And Jesus always wins. Again, I, I made reference here to the uh, 72 in Luke chapter 10, beginning with verse 17. Jesus sends out the 72. Yeah, these 72, and I also, uh, I want to emphasize, Jesus called them, Jesus empowered them, Jesus commanded them. Uh, they learned from, they saw what Jesus did, they heard what Jesus said. This is important. God doesn't give this to everybody. Not everything in the Bible is written to everybody. I hear in this particular, Jesus is instituting the holy ministry. This is what you're to do. You're to go, you, you are to proclaim the gospel and cast out demons. Now, I don't want to be too dramatic. You know, Luther, Luther believed in, in, in baptism that Every baptism was an exorcism. He would say, in Holy Spirit, out evil spirit. Let me read to you from the 10th chapter, 17, beginning with the 17th verse. The 72 returned with joy. They had been out, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have, I have, Jesus, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions. And I believe these are figurative, meaning these are, these are powers. These are associated, associated with, uh, these scorpions and, and serpents are associated with demonic powers. He's talking about, I, I've given you power over the demonic powers. And over all the power of the enemy, the enemy, not enemies, the, en the enemy here is Satan. The enemy is Satan. And nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you. Here he means demonic spirits. But rejoice that your names are written in heaven so jesus empowers them they go out and they cast he's given them authority he says that i've given you authority they cast out demons in his name of that they have 
divine authority from, from Jesus. They're doing it by his authority uh, and able to do that. And it also tells us that whenever the gospel, that is the gospel of God, and what is that? In this particular case, the gospel of God is that the fullness of God's kingdom is now manifest, present in the person of Jesus Christ and his ministry. The kingdom of God is standing, Jesus is standing before you. And he also says this, by the way, and when he goes to the temple and, and he's, uh, he reads from Isaiah and he, re and he says, this has been fulfilled in your hearing. The kingdom of God is fully present in Christ Jesus. Now, there is one difference. And, and we see that because even after Jesus heals all of the, the sick, all with every disease, there isn't anything that Jesus can't heal. He even raises the dead. He cleanses, limp, uh, he cleanses lepers. He gives the blind sight. He causes the deaf to hear, the mute to speak, the lame to walk. There is nothing beyond Jesus' divine power. And, and of course, that also goes to the power of casting out demons. But not everyone in Galilee, not everyone in Judea, not everyone in the world uh, was healed. There, still, there were still blind people. There were still deaf people. There were still mute people. People were still dying. People were still being possessed by the demons. But we see in Christ Jesus that in him that fullness is revealed. When Christ comes back in glory, all the blind will see, all the deaf will hear, all the mute will speak, all the dead will be raised, all the lepers will be cleansed, and Satan and his demons will be cast into hell. And it says the last enemy to be defeated is death. Death and Hades are cast eternally and separated from God, what we, what we call hell, or Jesus we call Gehenna. One other aspect, now this actually comes from the Gospel of Matthew chapter 12, right? Kind of interesting, they, as I said, they were accusing Jesus of, of doing these things by the power of Satan, Beelzebub. Again, they didn't deny that Jesus was doing these. They just said it. Satan is doing. And then Jesus says, but if I drive out demons by the power of the spirit of God, then the end of Satan's kingdom has come. As I said, there's a clash of two kingdoms. Jesus says, if, I, if I'm driving out demons by the power of the spirit of God, then Satan's end of the kingdom has come to an end. It's done. It's done. He says, who would dare enter the house of a mighty man and steal his property? He's talking here about Satan. This is the, the mighty man he's talking about, Satan, and his house, his kingdom. And he and make no mistake, Satan is, is powerful, he, but God is more powerful. 
first, he says, he must be overpowered and tied up by the one who is stronger than he. Jesus does this by his divine power, but by his word. His word shakes Satan's king. That same word is given to us in that wonderful gospel that a sinner is declared righteous, saved by the grace of God, not by works, by the grace of God. It's an objective grace, something outside of it, by the grace of God. For the sake of Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ, active and passive obedience. So you know, he kept the law for us and he died on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins by faith. Faith simply is a work of the Holy Spirit by which we believe that Jesus has done these things for us. Faith is believing that God is not a liar. Or faith is the empty hand of the beggar. Always love that hymn. Um, Nothing in my hand I bring, only to thy cross I cling. That's faith. That's the faith here. And it's not meritorious in the sense that it earns us. And it simply says, I trust by the power of the Holy Spirit through the means of grace. I trust that what God has done for me, uh, that he has saved me by grace. So I am righteous that imputed righteousness, that God has fulfilled all the law for me, that he died for my soul. I believe that, trust in that. That's what I'm talking talking here by, about the gospel. So, so we see this in Christ Jesus' ministry, especially as it is revealed to us in the gospel of Mark. Jesus returns to Capernaum, and and then he heals everybody. Here you have this picture of all these people being brought to the door of Peter and Andrew and Peter's mother-in-law house. I mean, you can just imagine. And he healed them all. But we often see this. when, When Jesus has confrontations with a demonic, there seems to be a time that, uh, uh, that he needs refreshing and rest. And he goes off by himself. We should see this time and time. He goes off by himself in prayer. And that early, uh, that, that morning, the, the disciples are looking for Jesus. And they find him and they say, everybody's been looking for you. And Jesus looks at them and says, We've got to go somewhere else. There are other places. There are other towns that we have to. He says, let us go on to the next town that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. He tells us the purpose here, to proclaim the gospel of God. That the kingdom of God is fully manifested in the person and ministry of Jesus Christ. There were other people in Capernaum that were not healed. But Jesus has to go to other places. He has to go, as he says, at the end of Mark chapter 1, 39. 
And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. This is the ministry. This is the person. This is the manifestation, the full manifestation of God's kingdom and Christ Jesus. Amen.